Practical Family Podcast with Jennifer Bryant, encouraging your family to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Hello, families. Welcome back to the Practical Family Podcast. I am your host, Jen Bryant, and you're listening to episode 55, When Loss Comes in Many Forms. Today, our guest on the podcast is Rachel Lewis. Rachel writes at thelewisnote.com. She is a foster, adoptive, and birth mom. Rachel lives in Washington State with her husband, Ryan, and two sweet little girls. I invited Rachel onto the podcast today to speak openly, honestly, and practically about pregnancy loss, her journey with infertility, her journey with foster care and adoption, and even pregnancy after the loss of a child. As these can be pretty heavy topics, I do want to encourage you that if you don't feel quite ready to grapple with these issues today, please feel free to move on to a different podcast episode. We do have plenty of great family topics in our archives, but if you do choose to hang with us today, I hope and pray that Rachel's testimony will help you to either get through a loss that you may be grieving or to be able to help someone close to you get through their loss. Our goal, as always here on Practical Family, is to help you to build strong foundations and healthy homes. And a lot of the time, that emotional health piece will take us through different tragedies in life. And so I hope that this podcast episode fills you with life and hope and understanding for what other moms have to endure, um, things that they don't ask for, but that God somehow strengthens them through that journey. So I'm glad that you're here with us today as we jump right into episode 55, When Loss Comes in Many Forms with writer and speaker, Rachel Lewis. Well, thank you, Rachel, for coming on to the Practical Family Podcast. I'm blessed to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I am too, and I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you over the course of interning with other great authors and speakers. I mean, this is just such a blessing that we get together this way. So you are an intern for... I was an intern for Kathy mm -hmm. for three years. Okay. So yeah, I had to stop. This is my first, or January was my first month in three years not doing it. So Rachel, it's been really great to actually learn more about your story, and that's why I wanted to bring you on today, because you are here to speak to us about the different types of losses associated with not only pregnancy and women carrying their own babies and lose them, but also the process of possibly losing an adoptive child. Can you share with us your story, just so the audience has kind of an overview of, of what God's led you through so far? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I always just knew that I wanted to be a mother. Um, I remember very specifically playing downstairs, maybe six or seven. And I remember thinking one day I'm going to have four kids. We're going to live in a white house with a white picket fence and then a dog who never barks, of course. <laughs> um, it's had a very clear picture of what my motherhood was going to look like. That picture began unraveling very quickly after my husband and I were married. I got pregnant 10 months into our marriage. I was not ready to be a mother. My career as a writer had just started and I just wasn't ready. 
that was the first hint that things were not going to go exactly the way that I had wanted them to. And, and that idea of that loss of control. And then um, we experienced birth trauma. Thankfully, my daughter and I both made it. It was a really touchy situation that ended up leaving me with some postpartum depression and PTSD. Fast forward a few years, we knew we were going to adopt, but and in, and in the process actually of thinking that we were going to adopt and already getting licensed for foster care, we found out we were pregnant again. And even though that wasn't in the plans again, um, I was super excited this time and this baby was so wanted and loved. And um, eight weeks, or almost eight weeks into our pregnancy, um, my fallopian tube ruptured and we lost that baby. And that sort of began five years of secondary infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss. We experienced the loss of four more babies after our ectopic baby in the first trimester, over about five years of trying. And in the process of that, we had one successful adoption. We had one adoption where we were told that we were going to be able to adopt this perfectly healthy newborn daughter. And before we were able to get in the car and pick her up from the hospital, we were told someone had changed their mind. And then we also raised a foster son for one and a half years until he was almost two. Then we had to give him back to his birth mom. And that was a very difficult situation. And then we didn't hear anything, you know, besides one photo update for about two and a half years. And so our relationship came to a very abrupt end. So all of that happened in about five years. You know, as far as our journey of loss, the other thing is that loss of expectations with God you know, like, I'm going to be a good Christian. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. <laughs> uh, this idea that God will see how faithful we are and will reward us and give us the quote-unquote desires of our heart. There's that loss, I think, of saying, God, I, you're not the person I thought you were, or you don't seem like you're the person I thought you were. And this faith journey is not the one I feel like I signed up for. I don't know what you're thinking, <laughs> and I feel a little betrayed right now. That change of dynamic with God, for me, I can't say for everybody, but for me, that was a difficult one. Gosh, Rachel, that, that is a lot to have happened in just a short time span. I mean, it, it feels like so much was loaded onto even just hearing the story now and and it's a very real thing. I mean, this is your real testimony. And for you to have kind of broken up into pieces the types of loss that have come from that is very powerful. And it's very deep. And I hope that our listeners are hearing this right now because even if you haven't lost a child, that you can understand the loss, at least the loss of expectations. Rachel, can you talk a little bit about how your relationship changed with God at that point, because I know this is something, this is a very strong feeling that a lot of folks have gone through in difficult times is that you kind of just stop, maybe not believing in God, but believing him, stop trusting him for the goodness, right? Like you said, the give and take relationship seemed so not real anymore. Can you talk about what that was like for you and how that affected you as a person? Yeah, I think that I would say my faith journey is still very much in progress. So when I speak about this, I want everyone to understand I'm not speaking as though I am someone who has arrived, but maybe somebody who's wrestling also alongside anyone who's listening to this that's also, you know, having some struggles. 
after we lost our baby, I, I named her Olivia, our ectopic pregnancy, we were due to try again. And the day that I was scheduled to test, I was in a business conference in Las Vegas. And I took the test and it told me exactly what my body was trying to tell me already. And that was that I was not pregnant. I sort of held it all together, uh, went downstairs, joined the sea of thousands of presumably fertile women. <laughs> they all seemed fertile. They all had like babies strapped on every which way and strollers or, you know, bearing pregnancy bumps. And um, I went down the stadium seating, had a seat in the middle and very uncharacteristic for our business. Uh, the very first thing that popped up was a woman holding her uh, newborn baby. And I guess things had been a little dicey. She was a leader in our company. And she said, of course, my baby is okay. Well, um, me being me and, and knowing so many now lost moms, I knew that there was no of course when it came to babies. And so I just took a beeline over my my friend's lap like I crawled over my friend's lap and ran up the stairs and I slammed the door and it looked like I was crying so heavily it looked like Picasso had done my makeup that morning <laughs> and I remember holding my fist and I was in a public restroom so I couldn't be real loud but I remember saying God do you see me because I felt alone and I felt abandoned and I felt like God had given the desires of their hearts to all of these other women and like what I, I wanted this baby. I tried for this baby. I loved this baby. What did I do wrong? Why would you not love this baby and want this baby to, to be in my arms and to be whole and healthy? And so I, I struggled and that, that was the season of daily. I just don't get what you're doing. Like, I don't get it. People are praying for me. People are praying for family. We're doing all the right things. In our first pregnancy, uh, the one where I had the birth trauma, you know, we had almost lost our daughter at eight weeks. And, and I had done all the things. I prayed. I submitted um, or surrendered, rather. Um, I asked other people to pray. I sang worship songs. I circled verses in my Bible and told God about them as though he forgot that he had written them. So when it came time for this next pregnancy, you know, I had done all the things. I circled the verses and I prayed and I surrendered. And then we didn't get, we didn't get what we hoped for. That was so confusing to me. As we kind of went on this journey, um, some things that I had always kind of held to be true, even, even after going through Bible college with having a Bible and theology degree, there were truths that I had not ever yet wrestled with. And I've sort of come to the conclusion that a faith that's untested is not really faith at all. Mm. And this sort of had been my testing. But I realized that, that God was not the kind of God who made bad things happen to me in order for him to get glory or in order for me to love him more. What I came to realize and came to embrace is that God is a God who set things into motion and has allowed nature to take its course. And that his power is not that he makes things happen to us, but that he is powerful enough to bring goodness from it. And that was sort of a shift in thinking, realizing that not everything that happens to me is God's will. 
you know, if as a foster parent, if I have a child who comes into my home and they've been raped, I'm not going to ever say everything that's ever happened to you is God's will. That's not where the Bible says, you know, the Bible says that people do things all the time against his will. That's, that's sin nature, right? So I began having a, a faith in a God who could redeem. And that became really poignant to me because about a year after our loss, we were introduced to a foster child. We were asked to do respite. She was 10 months old at the time. Respite, for those of you who don't know, it's sort of like state paid babysitting that's, that's overnight. The first time I held her in my arms, I was rocking her to sleep that night. And I had this very fierce mama moment where I was like, this is my baby. And that's really weird. And I didn't tell anybody about that because you don't give a grieving woman a baby and have them say like, this is mine, I'm keeping her. <laughs> and so I didn't share that with anybody. And as the next couple months unfolded, it became clear to us that she was going to be up for adoption and we were the family that was asked to adopt. And then day after her birthday, she came into our home. I watched as her first foster family came, they prayed over her. Uh, we had dinner together and then they left and they left with them their roles of mom and dad and sister at the door. And we picked up those roles for our baby. And the next day, instead of feeling overjoyed, I was grieved because I understood the depth of the loss this family was going through and the depth of the loss our daughter was going through, even though she didn't know it. And so I took some time back and I ask God again, why? Why would you do this? Why would you not have just let this child come into our home? Why would you not spare us this grief and spare her this grief? And so I decided to look back at my blog. I wanted to see where I was at in my process when our daughter was born. And I realized two things. Um, the first one is that I was such an emotional mess that I couldn't have advocated for her and her birth family in the way that she deserved had she come into our home and I needed that other foster family. She needed that other foster family who could do those things for her. And the second thing I realized is that the tree, the one that I had planted in memory of Olivia, the one that I had watered and watered and watered and was so frustrated because it wasn't growing. And I spent months trying to get this thing to grow that same tree on the very day that it sprouted the exact day had been the exact day our adopted daughter was born. In that moment, I felt like God was saying to me, you see, I haven't forgotten. In that time that you were in Las Vegas and you were shaking your fist at me, your daughter was three months old. She was healthy and she was thriving. And I'm not saying that one baby replaces another because our daughter Olivia is not here and not in our arms and that still makes me sad. She did not replace her. But I don't think God is about replacing. I think God is about redeeming. Uh, that to me is something I hold on to. And then the other story that I sort of cling to is during a couple years after we finalized our adoption, we were now getting ready to say goodbye to our foster son. He was in transition, which meant he was trying to get used to living in the other home. So he spent some time with us and some time with his birth mom. And while he was at his visit, and I felt very, very much at a loss of control, I felt like I couldn't keep him safe. I felt like, you know, I was spiraling emotionally. 
I was sweeping my floor and I sort of felt like my emotions were swirling around, just like the dirt was swirling around all over my floor as I was sweeping. And I remember saying, God, do you know what this feels like? And I realized that sounds so ridiculous. Like who asks God if they know what it feels like to give up their one and only son? Like that is what the gospel is about. But even after having known what the gospel was since I was three years old, it still hadn't clicked to me in that moment or any of my lifetime until that moment where I was like, I am giving up my one and only son. You know, I'm handing him over and I can't keep him safe. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I'm, I'm scared and I'm hurt and I'm grieving the loss of relationship and the separation. I just felt like God impressed on my heart. I do, I do know, I know. And in that moment, I realized that, you know, the cross was not so much about, or not only about Jesus becoming the sacrifice so that we can know the Father, but it was also the Father giving up his son and becoming the bereaved parent. And that he would, that the father would understand our struggles and our weaknesses and our grief. And I realized I could connect with God as a bereaved mom, as somebody who had endured grief. I could connect with him as somebody who had also walked that road and endured the suffering that that caused. And Knowing that God is a God who can redeem and knowing that God, not just the son, but also the father can completely understand and has felt all the same things helps me to have faith even when I still struggle. I hope that helps. Amen. Oh gosh, Rachel. (laughs) Amen to all of that. That is such a beautiful picture of God's relationship with us and how he would even, I can't, I can't, I I don't have words even. (laughs) This is a podcast, so I don't have words. Um, (laughs) Wow. Uh, I totally (laughs) It's just incredible that just, I could not have imagined that this would be a way that God would show you the light of his goodness and glory in something so difficult. And just like he gives, I think he, that he's created us to have relationships in a way that reflects him, that even in his death would connect in that way. And that's just incredible. Gosh, thank you for that. And thank you also for admitting that you're still in process. You know, I'm sure you still have good days and bad days. And, but what do you find that you can stand on now when you think of what God's brought you through? For right now, my belief that God is big enough, that I don't have to protect him from my doubts or my fears. Uh, when I think about a relationship that's healthy, I think about one where you can be honest and transparent with each other. And not that everything you say and everything that you do is perfect, but there's that level of trust that says, I trust that our relationship is strong enough to handle this. And so when I think about God, I, and I have doubts and I have fears and I have unmet expectations. So even now, I mean, our life is not, I'd say it's different than it was before. I'm not sure that I would tell you that our life right at this moment is easier, but I trust that God is as big as he says he is that he loves as much as he says he loves, and that in that there is freedom and space for me to say, 
I am struggling to believe, help my unbelief. And that sort of has been my prayer lately. Like, God, I'm struggling to have faith. I'm struggling to see forest for the trees sometimes. (laughs) But I think that you are a good enough God that I can say that, you know, that, that our relationship is strong enough for me to say, listen, I'm, my faith is not a performance for you. You're not asking me to perform for you. You're asking me to trust you and you're asking me to love you. And sometimes that's going to look like not having faith. And sometimes it's going to look like having faith to the outside eye. But it's big enough, you know, he's big enough to handle it. So that's sort of the thing that I fall back on no matter what. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions that are more on the practical side of things, um, especially as as your family has walked through the different types of losses and that you've had uh, older children to explain these things to. Can you give some examples of some some things that you would say or some principles to hold on to when you have to explain either the loss of a pregnancy or a foster child or something to a younger child? So you want to make sure that you use age-appropriate terms, especially the younger the child. Sometimes you'll be surprised how they accept things, maybe in ways that we don't just accept things. So sometimes they don't need quite as much as you think that they need. And sometimes that means you have to give out little pieces as they need them. So instead of giving them the whole picture, sometimes that means you give them a piece and then let them process that, keep communication open, keep asking questions, designate some space in your day so that you're free for those questions, and then give them the next piece that they need. You'll want to stay away from euphemisms. You don't want to tell a child um, the baby went to sleep, unless you want your child to be terrified of sleeping. As much as this is hard, you need to say the words, our child died, you know, our baby died. And it's hard to use those concrete words and we want to soften the blow. But if you don't give that to that child, it's going to be hard for them to process these other euphemisms that we use to soften the blow. Another thing you really need to do is to give permission for the feelings. There is no feeling that is wrong. Actually, in our family, we just started implementing every night after dinner. We all get around, we get our feelings flashcards out, and we talk about our feelings during the day. And it's really age appropriate. They've got cartoons on them and just one word. And make our kids from age two to 10 love doing this. But if you're needing a very practical way of saying, like, open the door for conversations about feelings, you could get the feeling flashcards. They're on Amazon. I think they're a Todd Parr resource. I know there's a couple grief books. Actually, my daughter and I just read a grief book today. It's called Mama One, Mama Two. So our daughter is adopted. She's lost two families on the way to us. And so, you know, I'm Mama Three. And so she's still processing that, which is her right to. She'll probably be processing that for the rest of her life. So asking around, saying what kinds what kinds of grief books are appropriate for kids? What kind of coloring books? I've got coloring books on grief. So you could walk through as you're coloring with your child. You could actually involve a play therapist, somebody who helps your child process some really, really hard feelings. Find a therapist who specializes in trauma and get therapy for your kids. As we had to walk our older children through the loss of our foster son or the removal of our foster son, we had to make some adjustments as a family 
we had to, at separate times, both of my girls have been in therapy as we've been trying to kind of work through the feelings that, that came from that. Another really super practical thing that we did for ourselves as well as for our family, the day after our foster son left, he left at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was horrible being in the house with some of his things still there and knowing that he was gone. And so a friend of ours who was a fellow foster parent had walked this road before us. They had lent us a family cabin on the beach, on the coast, even though it was like the dead of winter. And we took our family for a long weekend uh, to get away, to hike, to play puzzles, to just sort of cocoon ourselves away from the physical reminders of our loss. And I think that if you as a family are walking through a significant loss, that can be a helpful resource to just say, you know, we're going to cocoon for a little bit and we're going to cocoon away from some of the triggers that are really causing us to have a lot of feelings that maybe right at this moment we aren't prepared or equipped to kind of face. Those are good things to hang our hooks on right there. So we'll, I will definitely include links for not only the flashcards, but the books and things in the show notes, but these are good practical tips for families to have. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on just really quick before we wrap up here, Rachel, I want to touch on what advice you would have for women to give to their friend who has gone through a miscarriage, because that seems to be a lot more common. And I know you've experienced that yourself, but what would you say that women going through miscarriages or even the after effects of that need most from their friends and family? They need permission to be however, wherever they are. One of the things that our culture uh, does not handle well is the, the idea of process or journey. We want to microwave faith. Like we want to just push a couple buttons and have it ready in like 30 seconds. A lot of friends and family are going to be ready for you to quote unquote move on. And I don't even think moving on is even, even realistic, but that's what they think they're ready for. And it's, it's not mean hearted. It's just because they hate to see you suffer and they want to expedite the process to healing. Unfortunately, grief is so tender and such a journey. There is no expediting any of it. In fact, the only way that you can go through it or get, you know, get to the quote unquote other side is, is you just have to go through it. Friends, like if you have had somebody who's had a miscarriage, like one, understand that they need permission to just be who they are, where they are, feel what they're feeling, say what they need to say, experience it how they need to experience it. And there's no wrong in any of that. Um, they don't need your help to move to healing. What they need is they need somebody who will say, I don't have answers and please do not give answers to them. Don't try to excuse this. Don't even try to make them have faith. <laughs> don't even say, I heard this woman once who had a podcast and everything turned out great. <laughs> you know, just say, Hey, I am here with you and you have permission with me to laugh. If you need to get distracted and you need us just to have a girl's night, I'm your girl. If you need me to like drop a meal off and ring the doorbell and run away so you don't have to see anybody, like I'm your girl. I will be the person who 
I will ask you what your due date was going to be. And each year, or at least this year, or whatever, I'm gonna just send you a text, I'm gonna send you a card, I'm gonna send you some flowers, I'm gonna send you some chocolate. I'm just gonna let you know, I miss your baby with you. Um, for moms who have experienced a loss that's so intimate and personal, there's that very real fear that we as moms are the only people who care. We're the only people missing our babies. So they really, they really, really need that. And I think very practically speaking, one of, one of the more difficult things you could say would be, well, tell me what you need. And the reason for that is, is they're not going to know. I gave you a couple ideas. Think about what you could do. And you could say, I am good for watching your children for two hours one day this week. Which day would you like? I'm going to come over. I'm going to bring some activities. And I can either take the kids out and leave you home, or you can have a chance to go out. Which would you prefer? Or I'm good to bring you a meal. Is there anything in particular that sounds good? If not, I'm just going to pick something and go with it. So you have like some things and offer um, rather than leaving it just like this big open, <laughs> just call me if you need something because they're not going to call. They're not. And they will need something. But they're not going to ask for it. And the last thing, you know, I'm just going to say this. I have a support group for uh, women who are going through bereavement. And that includes the loss of an adoption, a loss of a foster child, it includes infertility. It includes adult women who've lost adult children. Um, and it's called Brave Mamas on Facebook. And I think one of the things that women need to know, and that's why I started blogging in the first place after our loss, is that they need to know they're not alone. They're not crazy for feeling so deeply. They're not the only person who has ever walked this road. They just need to be heard in a really safe place. That's something that I've provided um, or, or strive to provide for women who are going through, going through something difficult. Gosh, and thank you. Thank you. That's so good to know. And that, the link to that group will also be provided in our show notes today. So Brave Mamas on Facebook, if you have ever gone through bereavement of any kind, the loss of a loved one, thank you for providing that space for them, Rachel. That's so great. In closing today, what encouragement can you offer to mothers who have experienced loss or advice to others to actually advocate for themselves? Like you said, you've been through a very traumatic birth experience. What piece of encouragement can you offer them today to take away? One piece, the way things look today is not going to be how they look five years down the road. There's going to be moments where you are going to want to give up you know, in various ways. The thing that I, you know, that I just want, want you to know is that these feelings of loss and of overwhelm, um, perhaps depression, perhaps anxiety, perhaps like me, you know, PTSD, these are all things that, you know, are here for a season. And of course they need to be addressed and worked through and processed. But this exact feeling that you have right at this moment is not going to be forever. And there will be a moment where you're going to think about your, your baby and you're gonna be able to smile and you're gonna be able to laugh because it will bring some joy, the memory of your child, the memory of you know, who, who you hope them to be and just how much love you had for them. There will be seasons where you, you sort of learn to say, okay, this is, this is not who I expected to be. This is not the life that I expected to live. 
And I'm not always okay with that, but here's some of the good pieces that I've seen that, that I can sort of hold on to. And so, and I know, I, I know that that just seems like such a, such a basic thing just to hold on, but just that there is, there is still hope for a good life, albeit a very different life. And there is still goodness to come that does not invalidate the very significant loss and grief that you have and, and, and will always carry with you. It's just not always going to feel exactly like it feels right now. You've been listening to my interview with writer and speaker Rachel Lewis, blogger at thelewisnote.com. And if you have ever experienced infertility, or the loss of a child, Rachel has a special Facebook group just for you. That link is available in our show notes and on our blog post page at practicalfamily.org. If you haven't already signed up with our community to get updates and find out what's going on at Practical Family, go ahead and do that now. Go to practicalfamily.org and click down toward the bottom on join the community. And if you've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast for any length of time, it always helps out to go to iTunes and give us a rating. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast, where we are encouraging you and families like yours to build strong foundations and healthy homes. 